leading a startup team, whether you're delivering a sugar rush, stocking coffee, or getting a regular delivery of snacks, Office Depot has solutions that fit every startup culture, from getting those first business cards and stationery to ordering fleece pullovers with your new logo. To learn how Office Depot and the California Technology Council have partnered to bring you savings on all of these startup essentials and more, go to californiatechnology.org forward slash member benefits. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. of the internet, social media, and communications technology has transformed consumer behavior. Consumers today are better informed, expect a high level of engagement, and a modern service experience. Shea Brill, Vice President of Corporate Development for Atlantic Research Group, in a white paper released at the Global Genes Rare Patient Advocacy Summit, argues that similar changes are underway in the behavior of patient consumers. We spoke to Brill about these trends, how they're changing drug developers' relationships with patients, and what these changes mean for sponsors of clinical trials. Shay, thanks for joining us. It's great to be here, Danny. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited about today's talk. We're going to talk about clinical trials, the rise of the patient-consumer, and your recent white paper on how technology is empowering patients to exert greater influence on the shape of healthcare. You draw on examples of how technology has altered the retail landscape. Can you start there? Yeah, I'd be glad to. I mean, some of my first shopping experiences were uh, going to a mall, you know, parking the car. Uh, being able to be there from either a 9 o'clock time point to a 6 o'clock in the evening time point. I remember being there at the mall in, at Christmas time where you'd have to wait in long lines before you could go to the cash register or carrying bags back and forth from my car and, of course, then looking for that perfect sweater that I wanted and they didn't have the right size or the right color. So what's great about technology is that literally I could take my phone right now and begin a shopping experience. I can shop in the middle of the evening or at nighttime if I wanted to. I have access to numerous stores with the same product or sweater that I'm looking for, or I can look across lots of different types of products that really fit for me and my purpose. So that technology gives us that opportunity to um, really consume a product how and when we want to. I know at Global Genes we talked a lot about Kodak was uh, uh, an industry that had really dominated for 120 years in the photography space, but all of a sudden they went bankrupt. And what happened? And that was not understanding the way consumers wanted to interact with their photos. The technology ended up evolving, and the market forced and surrounded them and caused them to be out of place. So I'm hoping that these retail examples give people an understanding of 
why I wanted to draw from that analogy when we get ready to talk about healthcare. Well, when you think about what's happened in retail and how technology has reshaped that, how do you see those types of trends playing out in the world of healthcare? You know, I went ahead and wrote down a few examples to share today. Uh, live health online services, and I, I don't promote any of these. I'm just uh, referencing them for uh, just purposes of talking. This allows you to have a visit with a doctor within 24 hours a day or seven days a week. In fact, our managing partner here at our company uh, had a sinus infection a couple of weeks ago, and he used live health online, and he was able to get a diagnosis. And before he left work, he had a prescription at CVS waiting for him. He didn't have to leave the office. He didn't have to go to a clinic setting in order to be diagnosed for something simple that he thought he was having in the first place. The other thing that I find interesting is that some of our um, local retail markets like Walmart or CVS now have diagnostic testing available. You can do pregnancy tests. You can do urinary tract infections. These are things that can be detected through uh, kits that are at Walmart. And then the other piece that I'd like to highlight is that things like 23andMe, Helix, and Ancestry DNA is allowing us to have free, well, quick access to genetic testing. And it's really affordable. It's not free. I shouldn't say that. But it is affordable. And then what I'm proud of to say is FDA has actually approved a lot of different wearables that help us track atrial fibrillation and pulse oximetry, which is a way of monitoring what we do daily as adults or children, and FDA is behind that from a wearable device standpoint. Yeah. So when you think about consumers that want to have medical health, they're finding ways through these technologies to do that in their own home. If you think about these trends of better access to information, greater influence in decision-making, more demanding of convenience and, and responsiveness to customer service. How, how do these translate to the world of clinical trials? What does it mean for trial sponsors? So clinical trials are trying to effectively prevent, diagnose, or treat a disease. And all of these trends that were just mentioned above were really to get us closer in doing this in two ways. One, they establish the need, and two, they support the data collection that then can be used to analyze effectiveness and safety of investigational products in real time. Sponsors, like patient community, would be delighted to reduce time to market, as well as the transparency of real-world patient data. Most of the data collected on a given trial comes from the interactions that happen when the patient is seen at the hospital. In addition to shortening the time to market, we hope to see a correlation in price. These trends, I hope, will allow us to embark on what is the right price for medical treatment and how patients can have access to them. Well, why is it important to, to hear from patients on clinical trial designs, and, and who's, who's listening? Is it, is it the FDA? Is it drug developers, clinicians, or CROs? In my experience over the last 25 years in clinical research, I think all of the above are listening, and it's really exciting. It's estimated that over 80% of our clinical trials will experience a delay in meeting enrollment goals or not completing their study at all. We're working with drug developers that have gathered the wants and needs from the patients to help promote on-time patient enrollment and equally important study completion. 
During Global Dreams, I was able to affirm from the numerous sessions and networking discussions that our industry sees the patient as the expert on this sort of information, and they needed to be a stakeholder in clinical trial design. In 2012, the FDA established the Patient-Focused Drug Development Program. What's that program, and what's been its effect? Under the 2012 FDA Safety and Innovation Act reauthorization of something called the Prescription Drug User Fee Act, or PDUFA, FDA initiated the use of patient-focused drug development meetings to help address unmet needs for collection of direct patient input. So far, they've held 22 meetings to gather information from patients regarding different diseases that focus on what it's like to live with that disease and to highlight their wants and needs for future clinical trials or even on approved market products. The FDA has created numerous guidance documents on how to collect patient information and actually submit that to the FDA to be used for regulatory decisions. The ongoing goals will be to incorporate these experiences into early stages of drug development, and we're hoping to focus on what matters the most to patients. Is this a a case of the FDA being a trailblazer, or are they responding to outsized demands? What's led to this development? I think all of us, are looking for opportunities to advance the science and efficacy of medical intervention so that our patient population can really reap its benefits. One of the best ways to do that is to simply ask the patient. Are are there examples of of how patient input is altering or, or shaping clinical trials today? A clinical trial succeeds or fails on whether it can enroll and maintain the pre-specified number of subjects needed to answer the scientific question or hypothesis. Theoretically, if we can engage patients by offering study endpoints that value and consider the time it takes to collect their data, then we could reduce the patient enrollment issues we've faced in the past. In our company, recent project kickoff meetings, we've actually seen our clients come to us telling us that they've interacted and interviewed their patient population and discussed with the FDA what they believe is a scientific-founded protocol that will support patient easiness for participation. In the paper that we generated, we talked about the late-stage renal failure study where the patients were asked that they wanted from a clinical trial. They also were surveyed and provided an overall positive experience. This paper showcases that patients value a positive experience even when death is a possible outcome. How big a concern is that today uh, of meeting enrollment for clinical trials? You know, I I think the enrollment piece uh, is is what we often do as as a contract research organization by doing feasibility studies. We uh, often engage investigators to evaluate the protocol's potential and the enrollment possibility, but I think that expansion will now take really this information and vet that with patient advocacy groups. It's just really another step that will happen in the protocol development stage, and I expect it will be a big benefit when you consider patient enrollment and completion timeline. And as you try to take into account the patient perspective, how does that change the demands on a CRO or a trial sponsor? 
I think many of the same things that happen with uh, conducting any clinical trials, experiment, and I also put my project management hat on. It's a finite study that has uh, predetermined endpoints. We're looking to manage what the needs of the scientific uh, evaluation of the study is, but also the patient's experience. And when we can put that all together, I think you you really provide the patient and the sponsor the best possible outcome in conducting a clinical trial. One of the things we, we've seen happen with traditional retail is, is the move away from bricks and mortar to the online shopping world where consumers haven't braced because of convenience and, and the ability to find the best prices and, and get better choices, as you alluded to earlier. Are bricks and mortar going away in clinical trials? Pfizer's virtual clinical trial in 2011 was one of its first of its kind. It used mobile phone and web-based technology to collect necessary data for the trial without clinic visits for overactive bladder in order to see if they could replicate the results of a completed phase four trial, but it didn't recruit enough patients. Because most of the patients were older, several sources think that site staff and the relationships that they build with patients were the real value. Patients enjoy and appreciate the support and attention they get by participating in a clinical trial. Also, patients continue to worry about their privacy and security. Other companies like Novartis have just recently announced they'll be investing in virtual clinical trials with mobile technology across several of their key disease areas. Storefronts are still part of our retail landscape, and I suspect that we will see more virtual trials and a reduced number of visits to clinics in our future clinical trial landscape. You mentioned before a, a bit about the advent of all types of remote monitoring devices. How is data gathering changing within clinical trials to make them more responsive to the needs of patients? Again, some of this is really based on how much technology change we've seen in the last decade. As I mentioned before, we have wearables and devices that are FDA approved that can collect more data and accurately than through the physician-patient interview process. In addition, I learned at Global Genes about a voice interactive technology that allows us to capture patient information. Patients are also sharing what data is important to them and industry is listening. You now have a motivated patient that's willing and able to provide that information. The most important data to a patient is one they're actively collecting and tracking. The real magic is aligning patient information with the investigational product efficacy and its safety outcomes. It's not just the way data is collected that can make a trial more responsive to the desires of patients, but also the types of questions patients are asked. Are, are sponsors seeking a broader set of, of feedback from patients beyond just clinical measures? So many rare diseases impact children and their mobility at a young age. I've often heard from parents that having a patient in a wheelchair is not their biggest concern, but rather having a child that can't sleep through the night makes an incredible difference for them and their and the parents. As a medical professional, we often think of the obvious, of course. We need to find a way to improve their motor skills, when in reality, the most important need is something that's not as obvious to us. 
The real impact we all can have is to ask questions about what is the value of this clinical trial, what do you hope to glean from it, and what are you most nervous about? One of the things you talk about in your white paper is the advent of what's known as a study champion. What's a study champion and what do they do? Our company, AOG, is a flexible, innovative, and rare disease-focused company. And we have witnessed the geographical distances that patients have to overcome, along with the fact that most of our patients are children and they can't travel alone. We also have heard from many busy hospitals their need to support the patients that are in front of them and are seeking help with those patients that need help at home. The study champion is built upon supporting the patient and the site staff. As more and more patients navigate their care at home and the clinic, the need to have someone be a central resource to them is important. The study champion would also direct the patient back to the site for any medical or adverse needs they are occurring. This is a service that we offer for those patients in sight that find it attractive, and it's not expected to be a one-size-fits-all. Some of the study champion tasks would include making travel arrangements, training on data collection devices, and reminders for study activities in order to avoid deviations, and building relationships that help the patient during the clinical trial. How dramatic a change do you expect the, the rise of the patient-consumer to create in the clinical trials realm, and, and what do you expect the most pronounced impact to be? I expect to see more technology that's used to prompt behavioral action, like taking a medication, measuring physical responses, and prompting the need for medical attention. Tools and systems that help to gather standard responses across a given condition. I believe there will be a reduction in visits to the clinic and more ways to collect as much information from the patient as possible from the convenience of their home. And lastly, I think those treatments will continue to be tailored to the individual patient based on their predicted response or risk of the disease. In writing this paper leading up to Global Genes Conference, it was a great exercise to see what we're seeing from our perspective on our clinical trials or what others were seeing from their clinical trials as well. Shay Brill, Vice President of Corporate Development for the Atlantic Research Group. Shay, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. And I'd like to say, uh, if you'd like a copy of the paper, you can go to info at atlanticresearchgroup.com. And I appreciate your time today. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.